Good morning, everyone. Last week, we finished looking at the life and ministry of the prophet Elisha. And this morning, I'm going to actually go back in time a little bit. We spent a lot of time looking at the prophet Elisha, and this morning I'd like to draw your attention to his predecessor, the prophet Elijah. So I'd like for you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, and for the next several weeks, what I'd like to do is focus our attention on prayer. And I want to look at a specific prayer that was offered up to God by the prophet Elijah as we look at one verse from 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's verse number 37 in a sermon that I've titled, Effective Prayer. Effective Prayer. Now, just to, to set the context, because we're not going to get into everything that Scripture says leading up to where we're going to be, but the prophet Elijah had been prophet here for the nation of Israel during the reign of a specific king by the name of Ahab. And at this specific instance, God had used the prophet Elijah to pray and to cut off the rain. And the rain had been cut off for about three and a half years. And our context here in 1 Kings chapter 18 has us right at the end of that time. And what had happened is that Elijah had met with King Ahab and they had agreed to a contest or a showdown of sorts that would take place upon Mount Carmel. And we're probably familiar with the events that took place there on that day where the prophets of Baal that were on Ahab's side would construct an altar and Elijah would construct his own altar and they agreed to take turns, the prophets of Baal going first and each one would get an opportunity to call out to their God and to see which God could call fire down to consume the sacrifice that was upon their respective altars. And so the prophet Elijah defers and allows the prophets of Baal to go first and the Bible says for hours on end they tried everything they could to allow their god Baal to call down fire and consume the sacrifice that was upon the altar and nothing happened. And so Elijah, his turn came and we see uh, him begin his prayer in verse 36 and I'm going to draw your attention to verse 36 mostly focusing on what he says in verse number 37 as we take some time over the next several weeks to look at effective prayer and prayer in general. So again, as, as we look at the prayer of Elijah, I want to point out this morning what it was that made it so effective. And what we'll see with Elijah's prayer here, and what we find, I think, to be true today as well, is that there are really two main reasons why so many prayers of God's people are ineffective. And I think first is because they failed to meet God's requirements of what acceptable prayer should be. And second, because their requests are often unscriptural, not patterned after God's word and his will. Now, there is a whole lot that can be said regarding what is required of us and what conditions must be met before we should expect God to answer our prayers in any sort of big way. And while we are not going to cover everything today, hopefully we'll cover more of this in the weeks coming. But it's worth addressing this highly important and extremely practical subject. 
and at least mention some of the main requirements for us as believers to see true success in our prayer life. Prayer is one of the most wonderful privileges that a Christian has. It is the way that God has designed for us to have access with him. It is the way for our souls to be drawn to our maker. It is the way for the believer to have spiritual communion with his redeemer. Prayer is the channel through which we are to seek all needed supplies of spiritual grace as well as temporary mercies. Prayer is the avenue through which we are to make known every single one of our needs to the Most High God and to look for Him to minister and to take care of those needs that we have in our lives. Prayer is the channel through which faith rises to heaven and in response thereto, miracles come down to earth. However, if that glorious channel is blocked, if, as we just sang, there is something between our soul and the Savior. Those necessary supplies of grace and mercy are often not made available to us. And that's not because God isn't trying to pour them out upon us. It's because something is standing between us. If our faith is dormant, miracles won't be seen. Since the very beginning, God has made it clear to his people as he spoke in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse number 2. And in chapter 59 and verse number 1, he says that his ear can hear everything, that his arm can reach everyone. And he says in verse number 2, he says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. A very difficult statement to read and to hear if you're the children of Israel. But the idea is that if sin was effective in separating believers' fellowship from God those many years ago, do you think it's any different for us today? We just sang that there would be nothing between our soul and the Savior. Keep the way clear, let nothing between. Because the reality is when we allow things to come between our soul and the Savior, we allow our prayers to be rendered ineffective. God also declared in Jeremiah 5, verse 25, he says, your sins have withholden good things from you. Your sins have withholden good things from you. It is our sin that stands as a wall between our soul and the Savior. It is our sin that stands as a brick wall from allowing the blessings that God is bestowing upon us every single day from actually reaching us. The problem is not on God's end. The problem is not that God has run out of blessings and mercies and graces to pour out upon us. The problem is that we have erected walls between us and God that, they, that which all should have come down and reached us have prevented from reaching us. The problem is on our end. Have the effects of sin changed? As God has said in those many years ago, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Your sins have withholding good things from you. Has anything changed over the years to not make this true anymore? Absolutely not. The effects of sin have not changed. And as long as sin is prevalent in our lives, it will seek control and it will seek to keep and not just drive the wedge, but keep the wedge between us and God as long as possible. We have every reason to declare today the words of Lamentations 3. And if you're keeping with your Lamentations or with your Bible reading every single day, Lamentations 3 is tomorrow's reading. And it says this in verses 42 and 44 in chapter 3. It says, We have transgressed and have rebelled. Thou hast not pardoned. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. Thou hast covered thyself with a cloud that our prayers should not pass through. It is sad 
to hear such words ever spoken, but even worse when those words are true about us. That he has covered himself with a cloud that our prayer should not pass through. I believe that there are many people who don't realize that this is true regarding them. That they have rebelled against God to the point that God has covered himself from hearing them that their prayers do not reach him. They may think that they're receiving different answers to prayer, but in reality, God has not responded to them because their sin is preventing their prayers from reaching God. Now, if those who claim to be Christians think that no matter what the character of their walk may be, all they have to do is simply pray with the name of Christ and all of their prayers are going to be answered, they're sadly mistaken. God doesn't treat prayer as some convenient call line that regardless of what we've been up to and how wickedly we've rebelled against him, he is always going to answer that call. We're lying to ourselves if we truly believe that. We have to remember that God is perfect, that God is holy, and his word clearly declares in Psalm 66 verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It's not enough that you believe in Christ or that you're even praying and ending your prayer by saying those famous words, in Jesus' name we pray. In order to ensure that your prayers are answered, there must be a practical subjection to God and a daily fellowship with him or else you're missing out on seeing what true and effective prayer really should look like. Jesus said in John 15, verse number seven, he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. There must be an ordering of our lives, he says, according to the will of God, in order for us to be able to ask what he will, and it shall be done unto us. It states in 1 John 3, verse 22, it says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Not just because we're a child of God, but because we keep his commandments and do those things, he says, that are pleasing in his sight. There is a right way to approach God to guarantee his ear to listen as well as his hand to work. But nothing happens before we're acting in accordance to his will and keeping his commandments. He will not reward our prayers before we start doing that which is pleasing in his sight. That sin in our lives which creates a cloud between us and God needs to be removed for our prayers to be answered. Now as we consider these principles and requirements in effect of prayer, I want us to notice how they were all evident with the prophet Elijah who was, on a, who was upon Mount Carmel. There was no denying that Elijah had separated himself from the evil practices that were prevalent in the nation of Israel during those days. He refused to engage in any of the idol worship and the unfruitful works of wickedness. In fact, he was calling them out and warning them that if they didn't change, things were going to go drastically for them. In a day of spiritual degeneracy, and apostasy, Elijah had maintained a personal communion with God, and it was clear from the very moment that he appeared on the pages of Scripture that he was this way. The very first words that we read about the prophet Elijah were spoken to King Ahab back in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number 1, where he declared this. He said, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand. Now he's going to go on to speak more than that, but that's where we first see him speak. The very first words that appear on the page of Scripture spoken from the lips of the prophet Elijah were, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, 
before whom I stand. The nation may have been falling down the slippery slope of sin, but Elijah was steadily walking upon the firm foundation of God, and he refused to allow his devotion to God to waver no matter how the entire nation was wrapped up in idol worship. In fact, Elijah doesn't seem to take any action until the word of God came to him and instructed him what to do because after he delivered that message to the king Ahab where he told him that God is going to shut off the rain for a few years, God would then instruct him to go to a place called Kareth, and he did. And then after spending about a year there where he was able to drink from the brook Kareth and having food that was being delivered in by the first Uber of the day's ravens, morning and evening he was eating. And after a year there, the Lord then directed him to go to the enemy nation of Zarephath. And he went. And then again, he was told after spending two years there where he was living with a widow woman and her son, he was then told to go and to meet King Ahab, and he did. His life was ordered by the revealed word of God, and he obeyed each command and each instruction that God gave him. He never questioned God. He never tried to change any of the Lord's plans up to this point. He just simply obeyed what God had told him to do. He didn't even shrink in fear up to this point when God instructed him to go and to show himself to Ahab after the drought had been ongoing for over three years. That must have been quite an unpleasant order to follow. But there is no record of Elijah hesitating, only immediate obedience. Imagine how upset Ahab must have been, who three years prior stood before this prophet Elijah, and Elijah declared to him, God is shutting off the rain for years. And then they go through three years of drought. Ahab is probably waiting to get his arms around Elijah and kill him. In fact, he, when he meets him, he calls him the troublemaker of Israel. But Elijah doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say, God, do you realize who you're sending me to? This man probably wants to kill me. Send me to anyone else. He doesn't say any of that. He goes and immediately obeys. And this immediate obedience to the word of God is a characteristic that is seen in those who have the ear of God listening to their prayers and the power of God behind what they put their hands to do. Now, if what has just been pointed out serves to explain why Elijah had such power and such potency to his prayers, doesn't it also point out why so many of us don't have the ear of God and therefore little to no power in our prayers? James 5.16 declares, says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that signifies that it takes more than just being saved. It takes a saved individual living a life that is honoring and pleasing to God, one who is obeying the word of God and keeping God's commandments. There are many believers who are not living a righteous life. And therefore, they're not seeing their prayers avail all that much. The righteous man of James 5.16 is the one who is right with God in his daily life. Not just qualify as, uh, not just the one rather who looks and acts the part one or maybe two days a week. If we only live for God one or two days a week, does that really qualify as living a righteous life? If we are lacking the effect of prayer, it's probably because we're not living that righteous life as James 5.16 tells us to. If we're not fighting to remove the sin in our lives, if we're not denying our own self-interest, if we're not denying or striving rather to change from our old nature to make God the object of our pursuits today, 
If we're only living to gratify our own selfish desires and our own selfish pleasures, is there any wonder that our prayer life has grown so cold and so empty? Is it any wonder that our requests constantly go unanswered or that we see our prayer availing so little? Why would our prayer life be any different if we're not following the basic instructions that have been given to us in the Bible regarding how we should be approaching God and how our prayers will be heard and answered? When Elijah first began to pray, I want you to notice where it begins in verse number 36. 1 Kings 18, verse 36, it says, And it came to pass, it says, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that, the, that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. It starts off there at the beginning of verse 36. says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. It was at the time of the evening sacrifice that Elijah first approached God expecting an answer to come by fire. He had great confidence in God because his life demonstrated a complete devotion to God. He then addressed God in a reverential manner as the covenant God of Israel. He says, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel. Elijah then offered his first request to God. He said, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. God, above all that happens here today and everything else that I'm going to ask you, because he's going to answer, he's going to ask God to do something even better. But he says, the first and foremost thing is that I want you to be magnified in all of what is going to happen here. Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Basically, what he's saying is, God, because of all this wickedness and all this idolatry that is rampant here in these parts, and as much as I and other prophets have gone before and tried to steer these people back to you, let that day be today where, God, you would be vindicated with your honor and your glory and all this majesty given to you and to you alone because of how good you are. The heart of Elijah was filled with a burning passion for God and he could not stand the sad sight of his own people, his nation of Israel, entrenched in idol worship. And then Elijah declared this. He said, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. And he says, and that I am thy servant. That I am thy servant. Making it known that his will, Elijah the prophet's will was completely surrendered over to God. His interests were entirely secondary to God's. He was declaring himself to belong to God. God, I am thy servant. That God owned him. And he was asking God to claim ownership over him through a demonstration of fire being sent down from heaven to consume the altar that he had set up. And this is what's necessary for prayer to avail much, as James 5.16 says. It has to be more than just going through the motions of being devoted to God. It needs to be evident that you're actually trying to draw nearer to God, not that you're just trying to prove to everyone that is around you that you're somewhat spiritual because you pray from time to time. You must be striving to draw near to God every day and you have to be working on getting rid of those things that are in your life that are offensive to God and standing as a wall between you and your Savior. 
In all honesty, you can't truly draw near to God if you're still clinging to things that are sinful and offensive to Him. It doesn't work to please Him unless you're 100% devoted to pleasing Him. But sin stands as such a big problem for us as it is extremely hard to get rid of, but we must understand that it stands as that brick wall between us and God. Sin keeps our conscience guilty and it keeps us at a distance from God. Sin needs to be repented of and confessed if we're ever going to see our prayers avail much. Jesus didn't die on the cross in order to give his people freedom to live in sin without any sort of consequences. Rather, he died on the cross to redeem us from all sin and to purify us unto himself. And as long as we're lacking that purity, we're missing out on all that Christ came to offer us. In order for a sinful person to draw near to God with any sort of confidence, he must first know something of the relationship that he has been offered by God, that it is only and is entirely by grace. It is the blessed privilege of the believer in Christ, no matter how big a failure he may think he is, to remind himself that he is approaching God who has made a covenant with him to be his God forever and that he can remind that God of a covenant and that covenant promise that he has made to him as the prophet Elijah does here. He says, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and of Israel. He is reminding God of the promise that he has made even to him personally. You are this covenant God who has promised to be God forever. No matter how bad things are getting. You have covenanted to be our God. And he's reminding God of this wonderful promise. When we approach God and plead for his promises to be true in our own personal lives, we present a reason that God cannot reject for his word has declared that those promises are coming to us. Now there's another essential necessary. If our prayers are to avail much, and that is the motive prompting us to pray, and our request must both be God-honoring. The motive as well as the request must be God-honoring. Now, this is the point where many people fall off and they miss the mark. What led them to first pray and their request are not God-honoring. In James chapter 4 and verse number 3, it states, it says, Ye ask not, or you ask rather, and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that it may consume it upon your lusts. We ask for things for the wrong reasons. Rather than asking for something to better serve the Lord or for the Lord to be glorified, we ask for things so that our lusts might be fulfilled or that our own pleasures might be satisfied. And God is not honored by such prayers. You'll notice that this was not the case with Elijah and his prayer. Elijah didn't pray for any sort of personal gain. It was not a prayer of personal advancement, but a prayer requesting that his Lord and Master might be magnified. Again, verse number 36, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Lord, if everyone forgets about everything that happens here, let them not forget that you are God alone. That's the focal point of all of this. Not personal advancement. He didn't pray for personal gain, but a prayer requesting that God be magnified, glorified, vindicated of all of his holiness, which had been so grievously dishonored by Israel as they had turned aside from God and turned towards worshiping the false god Baal. And this is where we all need to test ourselves when it comes to our own personal prayers. If the motive behind our prayer is nothing more than self-advancement, Lord, I need you to do this for me. Lord, this is what I'm going through. I need you to help me out in this area. Now, there's nothing wrong to ask for the Lord's help. There's nothing wrong to ask for the Lord to do something for you. But if the motive is entirely self-advancement and for personal gain, 
Don't expect your prayers to avail much. You should expect your prayers often to be denied. Only when we ask for that which will promote God's glory are we approaching first God correctly. In 1 John 5, 14, it states, it says, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. 1 John 5, 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. When we go to God in prayer and pray according to his will, when we go to God in prayer and ask for that which will bring honor and glory to him, then we can expect prayer to be answered, to be effective. And then we'll know what true power in prayer looks like. Now finally, if our prayers are to be acceptable unto God, they will come from those who can truly say with reference to God, I am thy servant. I am thy servant. Again, he says there, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. A place of humility. What Elijah was saying was, I am submissive to your full authority, God. My thoughts, my ideas, all of my desires, everything about myself is secondary to yours. I will act according to your divine orders and it will always be my goal to please you, God, and to promote every single one of your interests. If you're a true believer, this should be clear and agreeable to you. After all, Jesus is the example that we are called to follow after and this was the same manner in which he lived his life on earth as he was completely devoted to do the will of God the Father who had sent him. In Philippians 2 verse 7, it tells us that he came even as a servant. It says that Jesus Christ, it says, humbled himself, took upon himself the form of a servant. What is the prophet Elijah calling out? He says, God, I am your servant. I'm here not in my own capacity. I'm here to do everything you've called me to do and whatever that is, even if it's contrary to what I want to see done, let it be known that you're God and that I am your servant, submitting myself completely under your will and your word. And then in Philippians 2, we're told that God, that Jesus Christ, when he came to earth, it says, he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant. If we maintain our servant character, when we approach our Heavenly Father in prayer, we can be sure that we'll, number one, not disrespect God or be irreverent, but that we'll act in a manner that is pleasing to him. Instead of closing our eyes and making demands as if we're equal to God, Coming to God as his servant will not only please God, but will ensure that our requests will be heard and answered and that we'll see our prayers availing much. And when you think about the things that a servant might ask of his master, it always comes back to that which his master would be pleased with. And how do you know what your Lord and master will be pleased with? By getting to know him on a personal level through the written word that he has provided. The more we get to know God personally, the more we can reverently approach him knowing how to ask of him what we need in order to please him greater. Again, look at what it says in verse 36. It says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Elijah speaks to his complete obedience to God as he states, and that I have done all these things at thy word. 
How many of us could actually pray to God and say, God, everything that I've done, I've done according to your word? I didn't think so. And not saying that he was perfect, but in his capacity as prophet, leading up to this point, he says, God, as you've instructed, I've obeyed. Examine my life. Put me under the microscope. See if it's not true what I'm saying. Now, I don't have the boldness to pray and ask God to do this because I know better of myself. Because I know what he'll find when he puts me under the microscope. I know that he will not find that I have done everything according to his word. But here the prophet Elijah says, and that I have done all these things at thy word. He does this as a plea to God that he might answer with fire from heaven so that it might be clear to the people that Elijah acted as a true servant of God as he acted in obedience to the word and to the will of God. It was in response to God's orders that Elijah had prayed to stop the rain in the first place a little over three years ago. It was in response to God's orders that Elijah had called the nation of Israel to gather upon Mount Carmel to have this incredible contest and showdown. It was, it was in response to God's orders that this contest had been suggested. It, it was in response to God's orders that the parameters for the contest would be a sign from heaven that would prove who was the true God. Everything Elijah done here was not of himself or in his own ideas, but completely in response to God's orders. It adds incredible force to our own prayers and requests when we're able to plead before God our own faithfulness to his commands. Lord, you told me to do this, and I did it. You told me to say this, and I said it. You told me to go here, and I went. Everything that I've done here is part of this mission, as part of this command. You know that I followed it, and I followed your orders and not my own will. When we're able to go to God and demonstrate how we've been obedient to his word, how we put our own agenda off to the side, how we've subjected ourselves under his will. Then is when we can expect to see true and effective prayer. The way to honor God is to walk according to his precepts, to walk according to his commands, to walk according to his word. This is what Elijah had done, and now he was counting upon God, honoring him by granting this incredible request. When the servant of God has the testimony of a good conscience and the witness of the Spirit of God that he is acting in capacity and according to the Word of God, he can almost feel invincible. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances might be. It doesn't matter how much Satan might be opposed to the work that is being done by the servant of God. It doesn't matter how many obstacles might stand in his way. A servant of God acting in accordance to the word and the will of God cannot be stopped from the full power of God being seen in his life. And I don't think we've seen that in so many years. Elijah could have set this altar up at the bottom of the ocean. And it wouldn't have stopped God from sending down fire from heaven and consuming it. I mean, he practically did that because after he set up his altar and put his sacrifice on the altar, he douses it with water over and over with buckets of water. It's basically underwater. Now, I don't know about you, but if you ever try to start a fire, it's almost impossible to do it when the wood and the kindling is not dry. And he stacks all the odds against him to show how awesome the one true and living God is that he can consume an altar like that, that is soaking wet. 
He was faithful. He was a true servant of God and God would not fail him as it was Elijah's goal to magnify the glory and the power of God not to bring the attention and the glory to himself. When we go about serving the Lord his way, we can be sure that God will bring victory to everything we put our hands to do when it is done in his name. God's word will not return unto him void where he sends it. God's purpose shall always be accomplished. Now look with me at what it says in verse number 37. We took a while to get there, but notice what it says. The prophet continues in his prayer. He says, hear me, O Lord, hear me. That this people may know. Again, where's the focus? That this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. This was no more, no mere lip service on the part of the prophet Elijah. This was not a quick prayer offered up to God before he was eating a meal. This was a passionate plea from a man whose sincere desire it was that his own countrymen might turn back to God in repentance. He even repeats the words, Hear me, hear me, O Lord, hear me, which demonstrates how much his heart was burdened for his people. He couldn't endure the dishonor done to the Lord on every side, around every corner. He yearned to see God vindicated and set everyone straight. The intensity and the passion in Elijah's prayer puts us to shame. It makes our prayers seem so cold and lackluster. At the very least, we don't care too much whether or not our prayers are answered sometimes after we're done praying. It is only the genuine cry of a burdened heart that reaches the ears of God like this. It is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. Fervent prayer. Not the half-hearted, careless prayer of the lazy man. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man. We're in serious need of self-examination in our prayer life. We're in some desperate need of help from the Holy Spirit to aid us and teach us how to properly pray, for he alone can inspire real and genuine prayer within us. It is here in verse 37 that Elijah's main purpose, again, is made clear. Again, he says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. This is almost what he repeated, what he said back in verse 36. He says, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. Let this people may, that these people may know, he says, that thou art the Lord God. Not that people would enjoy a great and entertaining fireworks show, but that they would know that there is one true God, and it was not Baal, this false God that they had been worshiping, but it was the God of Israel, the God of their forefathers. Elijah longed for the people to be brought to the point of repentance so that they might return to giving God the glory that he alone was deserving. And this should be true of every servant of God, that we, we should, it should be our desire for every one of us that God be given the glory that he is deserving all the time. We should be willing to endure trials, afflictions, troubles, if it means that through them our Lord be magnified and that our Lord be glorified. The Apostle Paul stated in Acts chapter 21 and verse 13, Acts 21, verse 13, he says, For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Many have proudly suffered and many have died for the name of the Lord Jesus, and they have done it proudly and humbly. Are we as believers ready and willing to be in the right place under God that we're prepared to suffer accordingly for his name's sake? 
Look again at verse number 37 once more and notice the final few words. Again, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Back again, he says. Back from wandering after evil objects unto God. Back from Baal to the service and the worship of the one true God. Next to the glory of his master. The deliverance of Israel from deception of Satan was the deepest longing of the prophet Elijah's heart. He was not a selfish and a self-centered man who was indifferent to the fate of his countrymen. Rather, he was eager that they should be set up to prosper here on forth. How awesome is this? He could have looked around and said, you know what? You guys have every bit coming to you, what God is going to bring to you. And I've prayed and I've begged and I've pleaded for you to turn back to God and you wanted nothing from us. God, rain down fire upon them instead of the altar. Just consume them all because they deserve it. What does he do? He says, no, God, direct your attention and your focus on that altar so that your name is magnified among all of these people who wanted nothing to do with you. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. His desire was for his own people to hear and to see that all their things they've been doing has been contrary to the will and word of God and to get right and to see the mercy and the grace of God. They might turn back to him, he says. Next to the glory of God, shouldn't we want more people to know about God, to come to Him in repentance and faith that they might be turned from their wicked ways unto God, shouldn't our desire be the same? Now what's great is that Elijah's prayer makes something very clear. He says that thou hast turned their heart back again. God is the one doing the turning. And nothing short of God's turning and putting forth of His mighty power can bring about this change of heart. Now having looked at some of the details of Elijah's prayer, I want to point out one final detail, and that is the length of the prayer. Elijah's entire prayer covers only two verses. Count them out, there's 63 words. What a contrast this is from some of the long and drawn out prayers that we pray today. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 2. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth. And let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. And this is one of those verses that many of you wish I would take to heart more often. <laughs> that my words would be few. But in all honesty, there is something worth noting about the brevity of Elijah's prayer. There's nothing wrong with long prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying for a long amount of time. Quite frankly, there are times when the Holy Spirit leads us to be praying about a number of different issues and a number of different people, and in order for us to mention them all by name, we have to be praying for a long time. So I don't, I don't want you to think that you shouldn't be praying for a long time. But this is probably more the exception than the rule, especially as the Bible teaches, I think, that we should be concise and be simple with our prayers. One of the main, many troubles that arise with long-winded prayers, and I found this to be true in my life, is that some believers can be discouraged to pray because their prayers aren't as long as someone else. You ever pray with someone and they just waxed eloquent for 5, 10, 15 minutes, and you're thinking, man, how do I compete with that? And so you're thinking in your mind as you're listening to them pray, what verses can I quote back to God to you know, really beef up my prayer? 
To at least, you know, you're looking at your watch, you're thinking, well, he covered 15 minutes in prayer, so I have to at least match that. Because if I pray for only five minutes, I'm going to be looking like some immature little, little Christian that doesn't know anything. And some believers are even discouraged to the point in thinking that if their prayers and their private prayers aren't long enough, when no one else is listening, then the Lord will withhold their blessing or his blessings from them. If any of you think this way, let me just encourage you to take a quick look at all the prayers that are offered up in the scriptures. Because the majority of them are very short. What you'll find is that majority of them are extremely short compared to some of the prayers that we pray in church. The prayers which brought such incredible responses from God were much like the prayer of Elijah here. Short, sweet, and straight to the point. Two verses, 63 words. It was a passionate prayer, indeed. It was a clear prayer and a simple prayer. God is not honored because our prayers include every word known to man. He's honored when our prayers come out of a desire to glorify him. That could come in a 30-minute prayer. It could also come in a 30-second prayer. God is honored when we're led to pray by a longing to please him as we come before him in faith. Charles Spurgeon once said, he said, we cannot all argue, but we can all pray. We cannot all be leaders, but we can all be pleaders. We cannot all be mighty in rhetoric, but we can all be prevalent in prayer. May the Lord fully preserve us from hypocrisy and the vain repetition that is often part of our prayer life so that our prayers might be effective as we please God by coming before him with all honor and glory seeking his face to be seen and his name to be glorified. Would you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come before you. Lord, we're humbled at what you have done and how you've revealed yourself through the pages of scripture into our lives. Lord, forgive me, forgive us for not coming before you the right way, the proper way and yet expecting our prayers to avail much. Lord, maybe we've seen some power in prayer, but the full scope of it, Lord, I feel has yet to be truly unleashed in our lives because we have lacked certain requirements and conditions as we've come before you in prayer. Lord, help us to reassess what our prayer life is and what it should be. Lord, so that we truly see the full scope of your glory magnified in our lives and our devotion to you and in the availing much of the prayers that we offer. Work in each and every one of us. Lord, may we all be prevalent in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.